My wife has learned over the uh, two or so years, two plus years of our marriage, that I love to watch movies. And I love to watch movies for several different reasons, but one of the reasons that I really enjoy to watch movies is the stories that they tell. The way that a, a movie is just able to just kind of bring you into the story that it's telling and almost make you feel like you're there. One of my favorites is Lord of the Rings. And with any good story, if you jump into that middle of the story without understanding the characters, without knowing the context of what's going on in that story, it doesn't really make any sense. Imagine trying to jump into the middle of the Lord of the Rings story and you come across this, this short little figure named, named Frodo with his, his hairy big feet that are, that are gross looking. And he's trying to uh, uh, avoid and evade this... this uh, creature that's slimy and, and gross looking and crawling on walls and speaks really weird, um, really looks like he's a spawn of Satan himself, uh, named Gollum. And as he's trying to evade him, he, Frodo, the, the, the hairy-footed creature, um, puts on a ring and all of a sudden disappears. Now, if you didn't know anything about that story and were to jump in in that scene, you'd have all kinds of questions. You wouldn't understand really what's going on. Uh, most recently, the latest Star Wars flick came out, and I think a lot of you have probably seen that. And I grew up watching Star Wars and, and loved those movies, and uh, was, was growing up on, on the classics, the original three, and one of the most iconic scenes you think of um, is, a, is a battle between uh, a kid with, with, that holds this device in his hand that has this kind of uh, beam of light coming out of it, and he's on a bridge, and he's fighting this, this big behemoth character dressed in all black. He's got a black mask on and, and a black cape. What he needs a cape for, I don't know. He's not a superhero. Um, but he's, he's in this battle with this guy with these, these light beams, and during this battle, the, the guy in black um, cuts off the hand of the kid uh, that's holding the, the other light thing, and... Uh, then they had this kind of exchange of words, and the, the character in black says, I am your father, to the kid. And the, the kid just screams, no, and then uh, jumps off to his impending doom, but somehow he doesn't die. He gets sucked into like some slide-looking thing and survives somehow. Um, now, if you were to jump in the middle of that story, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Why does this black character have a cape? Why does it sound like he has a severe case of asthma and can't really breathe very well? Um, all kinds of questions would arise. You can't jump into the middle of a story and for it to make sense. And that's true of any good story. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joshua this morning. And it is in the middle of a, a big story as well. The Bible tells one big story, and it starts with creation, where, where God made everything perfect, made everything good. And then shortly thereafter, uh, sin came into the world, what we know as the fall, where Adam and Eve sinned and, and rebelled against God and drastically affected all of the good and perfect creation that God gave to us. And shortly after that fall, God sets in motion a rescue plan for humanity, a story of redemption that runs all the way from the beginning to the end of Scripture. And part of God's rescue plan for humanity involved a nation of Israel and how God revealed himself to the world through this nation, through the nation of Israel. And uh, when, we, when we look at Joshua, we're going to look at the, the very first chapter of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. But before we get there... Um, in this story, that nation, the nation of Israel, is about to enter into the promised land. And just like with any good story, that might raise some questions if you're not familiar with the context of what's going on. What, what is this so-called promised land? And so this is kind of where we pick up this story, and it all starts back in Genesis with a man named Abram. Many of us would probably know him as Abraham. The promise started with Abraham. 
Um, back when Abraham was still waiting for a child, he didn't have any children at this point, no Isaac, no Ishmael. Um, he, was, he was in this promised land, at this time known as the land of Canaan. And he has this encounter with God. And we see this encounter take place in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. This encounter between God and Abraham says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. But then he expounds on that a little bit further in the next chapter and kind of gives a little more detail as to what that land looks like. In Genesis 13, verses 14 through 15, It says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I I give to you and your descendants forever. So basically God's telling Abram, Look as far as you can see, and all this land I'm going to give it to you. But then even a a couple chapters later in Genesis 15, he kind of gives a little more description as to what that land actually is. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 15 in Genesis, it says, On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now keep some of this terminology and these words in your mind because they're going to they're gonna come back to us again when we look at our text in, in Joshua. And so ever since then, this has been a promise that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, has held on to, that they've looked forward to with great anticipation and repeated to themselves, even in the midst of slavery, in the midst of wandering in the desert for 40 years, and everything else that they've encountered up to this point. So this is a big deal. This is, this is they are on the verge of obtaining what they have been promised such a long time ago. We recently came out of the the Christmas season, and for many of us, we're probably still in the Christmas season at this point. And as a kid, um, you, ever since Thanksgiving Day comes, you, this anticipation starts building as, as Christmas approaches, because you know that, that gifts are going to be given to you, and you look forward to the day of Christmas coming more and more so as that day gets closer and closer. And that's just over the period of a few days in regards to getting gifts. Imagine being a nation that you've been promised an inheritance and you've waited for many, many years to obtain that promise. That anticipation had been growing within the nation of Israel all this time. So that brings us to uh, Joshua. And we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I encourage you to, if you have a copy of God's Word, and and I hope you do, open up that with me, whether it's an electronic version or, or a hard copy. I want us to, to be engaged in God's Word. Uh, we'll have every other, screen for, uh, every other uh, scripture on the screen for you, but, but this scripture, I want us to kind of be rooted in the text and, and allow you and encourage you to, to take notes to, to realize that this is coming from the Word of God itself and, and allow you to, to really dive into the Word that way. So I want our focus to really be on the Word this morning. So Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me as I read the Word of God. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for just the power of your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just join us here in this place and allow us to, to dive into your word. That you would open up the, the, the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our minds to, to behold you and to see you in your word. Father, help us to engage with your word. Father, I pray for, for your power and, and your anointing over me as I speak, Lord. Uh, allow me to, to speak not according to my own strength, but according to the strength of your Holy Spirit, Father. And Lord, may that, may that same Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, take these words and, and transform every single one of our lives from the inside out this morning. Lord, we pray that, Lord, as we engage in your word, as we, as we hopefully follow up in obedience to what your word is teaching us, that we will leave this place more in love with you than when we first came in. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so I just got on mentioning how the nation of Israel has great excitement, great anticipation for finally entering into the promised land. But this excitement is also mixed with sorrow. You notice that at the beginning of this passage here, uh, that the author here mentions the death of Moses. And him mentioning the death of Moses links this book to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the first five books that were written by Moses himself. And so Israel, the nation of Israel, is without a leader right before they're about to enter into this land. And if you know anything about Moses, he was a fantastic leader over the nation of Israel. Somebody that they greatly respected, greatly revealed, and looked up to. Um, even today, the nation of Israel really highly looks up to and respects Moses as one of the greatest leaders over the nation of Israel. And, um, but he is, he's dead at this point. He is no longer there. And so Israel is without a leader right before they're about to enter into this land. And so one of the questions that might come to us as we, as we look at uh, a leader to step up into Moses' place is, why Joshua? I mean, to me, the obvious choice would be Caleb. Not only does he have a, a fantastic name, <laughs> but he's also, if you know anything about Caleb, later on we'll learn that he was 80 years old, trekking up mountains and whooping up on some giants. Now, you guys know from my, my time in Nepal that me and David and Sarah did a little bit of trekking up mountains, and I'm 31 years old, and it about kicked my butt as a 31-year-old. I couldn't imagine doing it as an 80-year-old, and not just trekking up mountains as an 81-year-old, as an 80-year-old, but also whooping up on some giants while you're up there. That's, that's pretty fantastic. But no, Joshua was, was definitely the man for the job and uh, had been pruned and, and trained up for this position to succeed Moses uh, for a long time prior to this. But just because he was the right man for the job and just because he had been trained up and, and, and put into this position doesn't mean that he didn't have questions and stuff. And he wasn't put in this position because of his natural bravery. If you look throughout this text, three different times God tells him to be strong 
and courageous. And then if you actually fast forward to the end of the chapter, a fourth time, there after, after Joshua relays the message from God to the people, they respond at the very end of chapter one, only be strong and courageous. So four different times throughout the chapter, throughout one chapter, Joshua has to be reminded and encouraged to be strong and courageous, strongly insinuating that he was not naturally strong and courageous himself. And isn't that exactly how God works? That he chooses those who are, are not qualified, those who are not um, naturally uh, leaders to do the job. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, where he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And this is the reason right here. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What a glorious God that we serve. That he can take a vessel like Joshua, like Paul, like anybody else in, in the word of God that you see and use them for his glory. He can take somebody like me, a sinner, who is, is in desperate need of a savior and use me to advance his kingdom. And that same message is true for every single one of us, that God can take the weak and despised and even worthless in the world and use them for great, mighty things. And that is true of Joshua. But as I mentioned, um, Joshua had been kind of trained to do this and, and led up. And there's, there's several different things that uh, kind of prepared him for this position. I will point out a few of them. The first one is that Joshua was the only one who accompanied Moses up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. We see this in Exodus 24, verse 13, where it tells us that Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. So as Moses was going up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the law to lead Israel, uh, Moses accompanied him up a, a good portion of the mountain, and then Moses continued going up and had the whole burning bush encounter with God. And so Moses, uh, Joshua got a little sneak peek of that. Also, um, we see in, in Exodus 33 that, that Joshua assisted Moses at the tent of meeting where the Lord would speak face to face with Moses. Look at the text there. It says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man at, that, at this time, would not depart from the tent. So Joshua got a little sneak peek uh, kind of into what Moses did as the mediator between God and the nation of Israel. And so uh, that would be important as, as Joshua would be serving a, a similar role as, as he led the nation of Israel as well. Joshua also had battle experience in leading the nation of Israel. We see this in Exodus 17 where it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. That battle experience in leading the nation of Israel is obviously going to be important in this role that he has as they go into the land of Canaan and, and encounter lots of enemies and, and go to battle with them. And we all know that, that Joshua, the last one I'm going to point out, was, was one of the 12 men chosen to spy out the land 40 years ago and then one of only two to give a faithful report. If you remember when they first came to the, the promised land about 40 years ago, they sent out 12 spies. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, came back and gave a faithful report, um, whereas 10 did not do so. And so all these and other experiences prepared Joshua to have the Lord choose Joshua to succeed Moses. And so he's, he's definitely been trained up and, and prepared for this. 
So Joshua is clearly the right man to be leading Israel at this point. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have concerns. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have doubts. It doesn't mean that he's not quite sure what to do. And rightly so, because if you think, he's got a fierce army that, that lies ahead of him. He's got multiple different nations that they're about to encounter, they're about to attack. Uh, they, got, they got walls that, that have to come down in order to defeat the enemy. Um, he's got all kinds of obstacles that, that lie ahead of him and the enemy that they're about to encounter. And not only that, does he have a, a tremendous uh, task ahead of him in the people he's about to encounter, but also, if you know anything about the nation of Israel, the people he's leading, they're not really the easiest type of people to be leading. They are a stubborn, stiff-necked, ordinary people who even gave Moses, a fantastic leader, all kinds of fits and, and frustrations as he attempted to lead the nation of Israel. And so he's leading a difficult people to lead into an extremely difficult situation. So even though he's been trained up for this, uh, for this point in his life, um, he, he, has, he has questions, he has concerns, he has lots of doubts. And one thing I want us to note with, with this passage here, verses 1 through 9, is that pretty much this entire passage is the Lord speaking to Joshua. And why is that important, you might ask? Is that I think it goes to show us that God always fully understands the situation we are in better than we do ourselves. God knows all the, the difficulties that Joshua is about to encounter. God knows fully the, the, the stiff-necked people of Israel that he is leading. And, and because God, God not only, he, he's able to, to see the future in a way that we are not able to see the future, he can also remember the past in a perfect sense. Whereas a lot of times our memory is kind of botched and we don't quietly recollect what happened in the past. God has a perfect memory of what's happened in the past, knows what's coming in the future. And not only that, God is also able to see into our present circumstances all the different aspects uh, that are being poured into that circumstance. Whereas we have a very limited perspective. We can only see things from a certain angle and we don't know all the things that are, that are tying into whatever situation that is that is currently going on with us. So God can not only recollect the, the past perfectly and, and see into the future, but he also fully understands the current situation that we are in as well. This reminds me of, of what Solomon tells us in Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, when he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Solomon there, I think, is telling us uh, a similar message that God is telling Joshua here. Trust me. I've got it taken care of. Trust me. I know what encounters you're about to face. I know the stubbornness of the nation of Israel. I know your own personal weaknesses. Trust me. Don't lean on your own understanding Acknowledge me, and I'll, I'll sort it all out. I'll take care of it. So let's, uh, let's work through the, this text and kind of figure out what, what God is trying to, to teach us as we kind of go verse by verse here. And there's three points I want us to see uh, this morning. And the first one is that God is calling us to action. We see that in verses 2 and 3 there, where, where at the end of verse 2, um, it says, Now therefore arise and go. God's calling him to action. And then verse 3 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. One of my favorite verses that I memorized when I was in seminary is Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And 
Joshua is, is about to, to encounter secret things that, that he doesn't quite understand. And this, this verse meant a lot to me in, in seminary as I, I encountered different theological things that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me in regards to uh, things we know to be true in Scripture, such as the Trinity, how, how we can have one God and three different persons, how that really works, that makes no sense to me. The fact that, that Jesus was a 100% man and 100% God is, is difficult for, for my mind to comprehend. You just think of maybe the weight of eternity and the fact that we are going to spend forever in the presence of the Almighty God just blows my mind. Those are secret things that, that belong to the Lord our God, that belong in his capable hands of, of figuring out and, and, and handling the details of how those things work out. But at the same time, there are very clear things that have been revealed to us, very clear things that have been revealed to Joshua, that he is called to arise and go and to take, take, uh, take care of the land, to, to conquer the land. The fact that the Lord is sovereignly giving Israel the land does not negate the responsibility to step out in faith and to take what is given. Just because God has promised it to, to Joshua and to the nation of Israel doesn't mean they get to sit back on their lawn chairs and say, all right, God, give it to us. No, they still have the responsibility of stepping out in faith and taking what God is giving to them. And so that brings a, a good question of, of what are some things that God has given us today that we must step out in faith on and take? There's three things really that come to my mind. First one we see in the Great Commission that I think all of us are familiar with in Matthew 28, 19, where it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. God is calling us to action. God is very clearly calling us to go and make disciples. That's one of the things that, that come to my mind. Another thing, maybe just simply believing God as a word. We live in a day and an age where the teachings of the Word of God are being pushed against all over the place. You think of the, the biblical account of creation that is being pushed against in regards to creation versus evolution. You think of the whole LGBTQ movement going on where the Word of God very clearly speaks that that, that is a sin and that is a, a wrong in the eyes of the Lord that the culture is, is pushing back against uh, very heavily. Maybe it's racial reconciliation for us where the Word of God clearly speaks about all tribes, nations, tongues coming before the presence of God. doesn't matter what their, what their skin color is. doesn't matter what their nationality is. doesn't matter whether they're, they're Jewish, they're Hindu, um, or Southern Baptist. We are all going to be held accountable before God and all have equal access to the throne if we repent and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. So maybe just simply believing God in His Word, and that kind of fleshes itself out in, in multiple different ways. And, or maybe the third way is, is this is kind of just a catch-all, but James 4.17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Is God putting before you good things that he is calling you to do in obedience to following him? And are we following that in the way that he's calling us to? So what are some things that God is calling us to do uh, to, to, to live out in action, to, uh, to step out in faith and, and take Second thing, God is not only calling us to action, but God is calling us to be strong and courageous. First and foremost, God is calling Joshua to these things. God is calling Joshua to action. God is calling Joshua to be strong and courageous. But I think God is also calling us to do these things as well. How is God calling us to be strong and courageous? And I think that worked itself out in three different ways. Three different commands that God gives to Joshua to be strong and courageous in verses 6 through 9. And let's, let's kind of dissect those one, those one by one. The first way is to be strong and courageous in the military task 
that lies ahead. Look at, look at verse 6 there where it talks about, you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Now, we don't have a, a physical enemy that we're going to fight. We, we're not standing on the brink of the Jordan River getting ready to go over and conquer all kinds of different nations and, and hike around walls. No, we don't have that kind of battle. But we do have a, a very serious and very clear battle that we are fighting. Most recently, Pastor Allen just got done leading us through uh, Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. And I think it's worth kind of revisiting that and kind of looking at that where Paul tells us in, in Ephesians 6, verse 11 through 12, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so, yes, we may not have a, a physical battle that God is calling us to fight, but I do believe that God is calling us uh, to engage in the spiritual war that is going on around us, to be active in fighting against the spiritual forces of evil that we see present all over this world. So God is calling us to be strong and courageous in the military task that lies ahead. He's also calling us to be strong and courageous in our obedience. Be strong and courageous in your obedience. And we see that in verses 7 through 8. Relook at that with me real quick. Verses 7 and 8. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. This emphasis here on the law uh, that we see in, in verses 7 through 8 is used later in Psalm 1. The psalmist chooses to, to open up the book of Psalm with very similar language here. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. No, this is not the type of prosperity that we see from a lot of preachers on TV. What, what is pictured here is that the picture painted is, is of a tree. Think of, think of a tree. What does a tree do? A tree produces fruit for others. And this is exactly what the nation of Israel is called to do. As they go into the land of Canaan, and, and drive out the other nations, they are going to receive the blessing of God if they remain obedient to him, and they're meant to be a city on a hill, uh, a blessing to all the surrounding nations. And we kind of see this come to fulfillment a little bit later with, with David and Solomon at the height of the kingdom of Israel. They are a blessing to other nations, and other nations are coming to them, uh, specifically to Solomon, and seeking wise counsel from Solomon, and they have great relations with the nations around them. This is exactly what, what Israel is called to do, and I think exactly what we are called to do. Maybe think of, of James 4.17, where we talked about um, uh, doing good in every situation that, that God has given us to. Um, uh, we, are, we are meant to be a blessing to those around us. As a tree is, is planted by a stream of water and reser, re, receives its nourishment from the life source of that stream as it goes by, us as well, as we are connected to God, uh, receive our, our life source from God himself, um, and receive the blessing that, that comes with that are meant to, as we receive that blessing, to be a blessing to others and to produce fruit so that others can enjoy uh, the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. 
This is likely the most difficult of these three commands that God gives to Joshua. And I say that because note the the two words that are added to this command. Notice uh, three different times God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. First time in verse 6 there where he says, be strong and courageous. The last time is verse 9 where he says, be strong and courageous. But in in, um, in verse 7 here, he adds two words. The author adds two words, only be strong and very courageous. Uh, I think in insinuating that, the author here is insinuating that this command is, is the most difficult of these. And let's kind of beg the question of why is this command the most difficult one out of the three commands that, that God gives Joshua to follow? I think because this is where the real battle lies, the inner battle. The battle between flesh and spirit. And the whole, the whole Bible talks about this battle in multiple different ways, especially in the New Testament. And, and Paul speaks of this battle in multiple different ways himself. And I want to point out three ways that he talks about it. First one is in Ephesians 4, where he, he kind of talks about this idea of, of putting off the old self and to put on the new self. In regards to as we become more and more like Christ, we're uh, gradually and continually discarding our selfish ways, dif- discarding our, our sinfulness and purging out the things in us that don't resemble Christ living in us. And as we do that, we replace it with Christ-like qualities and become more and more like Christ through sanctification as we grow in Christ-likeness. Paul also talks about this in Galatians 5. He says, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Talking about this this battle that rages within us between the Spirit and the flesh, where these two things are contrary to each other and are battling within us as to, man, am I going to obey the Spirit or am I going to obey the flesh? Am I going to obey what my sinful nature wants me to do, what I've been doing my whole life, or am I going to discard that and, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit within my life? Um, he kind of expounds on this a little bit in Romans 7, uh, where he talks about it in a personal way for him, where he speaks of doing what he does not want to do, and the things that he wants to do, he cannot do. It's, it's quite an amazing passage for, for several verses there in Romans 7. Uh, Paul talks about this inner battle that's raging within him as to uh, the flesh against the spirit, whereas he wants to obey the spirit, but the flesh is, is raging against him, and, and he, he, he can't uh, figure out which one to, to obey, um, this battle that rages within all of us. And I think this is the most difficult battle that any of us face, um, is to be rooted in the Word of God and to follow what the Word of God teaches. And the only way we can be successful in this battle is, is what we see in verse 8, um, to be careful to not allow the, this book of the law, the Word of God, to depart from your mouth, but meditating on it day and night to allow the Word of God to flow over, over us and to wash us anew each and every day, to allow it to be the defining force in our lives that, that defines what choices we make each and every day. The last thing that, that God is calling Joshua to be strong and courageous is, um, we see this in verse 9, is in the midst of fear. Look at verse 9 there. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Be strong and courageous in the midst of fear. One of my favorite authors is, is C.S. Lewis, and he, he wrote this, uh, this children's novel series called The, the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the first book there, um, you got four orphan children who are, are in the land of Narnia, and they encounter these, these talking beavers. And they go before these beavers and go into their home and are having dinner with them. And the beavers begin start talking about uh, this, this coming lion-like creature named Aslan, who, who's on his way to restore things and make, make things the way they're meant to be. 
And Lucy, the youngest, begins thinking, man, a lion-like creature, gosh, lions are pretty ferocious. Lions are, are kind of scary. And so she asks, she says, Mr. Beaver, is, is, is he safe? Is this, is this lion-like figure, is this Aslan, is he safe? And the beavers respond, safe? Who said anything about safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. What a beautiful picture of our God and Savior. He is a good, good father, and we are loved by him. He doesn't call us to safety. He doesn't call us to comfort. He doesn't call us to, to luxury, but he calls us to obedience. He calls us to follow him no matter where that leads you. God is not calling to Joshua. God is not calling Joshua to, to safety and to luxury. He's calling Joshua to obedience. Yes, there's going to be battles that lie ahead of him. He's never promised that, that all of the nation of Israel will come out of this unscathed. Yes, people will die. Uh, bad things will happen. But God is calling him to, to be obedient to what he has called him to do. And so three different times, um, Joshua is called to be strong and courageous. But a question may remain for some of you is, is, does God give him any reason to be strong and courageous? Yes, I think he does. We see this at the end of verse 9, uh, because God has promised to be with him wherever he goes. And this is the last point that I want us to make, is, is that God is calling Joshua to himself. And therefore, God is also calling us to himself. God is calling us to himself. And as they encounter um, all kinds of difficulties across the Jordan River. Um, one thing that I think God wants to remind Joshua and the nation of Israel is that Yahweh's presence, the presence of God Almighty, and the knowledge of his unassailable might are to give Joshua and Israel confidence, even if they seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes. Back up 40 years, remember when the spies went into the, the promised land 40 years ago and they came back and gave reports? Um, a lot of them responded that, man, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Well, we see giants over there, there's no way we can encounter them. Nothing's changed since that point. They probably still seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes. But even if they seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes, Yahweh's presence, the presence of Almighty God himself, and the knowledge of his unassailable might are to give them confidence, even if they seem like grasshoppers. Verse 5 uh, mentions this as well, where he says, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. We see glimpses of this in, in many of the commands from God. We already looked at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and, he, and Jesus finishes that up by saying, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I will not leave you or forsake you. Just as I was with Moses when he went and encountered impossible tasks and was obedient to those things, so I will be with you as I'm calling you to impossible tasks. Ladies and gentlemen, the things that God is calling us to I can guarantee you are impossible for us to do. For us to go and make disciples of all nations is way beyond any of us. But God has not called us to do it in our own strength. God has promised to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us, and that he himself is going to do that through us, just as he himself was going to do that through Joshua. Joshua had no clue that when they encountered Jericho that they were going to be able to walk around it for seven days and the walls would just come tumbling down. He had, that was not in his own strength. That was God working through him and through the nation of Israel. 
The same is true for us. We may be up against obstacles that we have no idea of how we're going to defeat this obstacle, how we're going to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. But God's not calling us to do it in our own strength. He's calling us to abide and rest in him. The call to courage announces that Yahweh's worth, the, that God himself, he is worth so much more and that his worth is such that it would be better to perish fighting for him than to quail before his enemies. Why is that so? Because if, if Joshua and the nation of Israel go and, and quail and, and run away in fear from the enemies, they are saying that the Canaanites or the Philistines or, or whoever they're facing is more powerful than God Almighty. If they were to, to quail before the enemies, they're saying that, that man, even, uh, even God himself is not, not able to deliver us from, from whatever circumstance we are currently in. It reminds me a lot of probably my favorite quote uh, from a guy named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary down to Ecuador and ended up giving his life um, on the mission field. And before he died, before he even left, he was asked about this. And he responded and he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. One of my favorite Old Testament uh, professors while I was in seminary, a guy named James Hamilton, said, If Yahweh himself is not worth more than life itself, this call to courage is both cruel and dangerous. If the worth of Yahweh is not more valuable to you than than the worth of life itself, then this call to be strong and courageous, to follow Christ in obedience to whatever he's calling you to, is a cruel and dangerous call. What is your worth? Where does your worth lie? And so that's where the question I kind of want to leave us with this morning is, is Jesus worth more to you than life itself? Back when, um, back when Moses was... Um, Uh, revealed that he was not going to be able to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land because of a sin within his own life. Um, He he made a request from God. And we see this in in Numbers chapter 27, verse uh, 16 and 17. This is a request that Moses is making before God. He says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. Joshua is no longer here to lead us. Joshua is no longer here to to go out before us and to come in before us. He's no longer here to lead us out and to bring us back in. But we have not been left as a sheep without a shepherd. If you look at, at the name of Joshua, we get the name of Joshua from the Hebrew word Yeshua. So the transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua, we get Joshua. And you take that Hebrew word Yeshua and transliterate that into Greek, what the New Testament is written in, you get the word Iesus. So Yeshua equals Iesus, which is the name that we get the English word Jesus from. And so Joshua was, was to give Israel rest in the promised land. So once they went over to the promised land and conquered the land, the, the idea was that the nation of Israel would have rest. And rest in biblical sense means following the commands of God, resting within the presence of God, resting within his laws and his boundaries that they had given to him. 
So the author of Hebrews kind of mentions this in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. He says, today if you hear his voice, it's talking about Jesus. Today if you hear the voice of Jesus, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. If you know anything about the nation of Israel, shortly after they went into Canaan Canaan and the promised land and and drove out the the nations, um, they they fell into disobedience. The book of Judges lays that out very clearly where they fell into disobedience time and time and time again and it just got worse and worse as it went on. And the author of Hebrews here is, is commending us and saying, let us therefore strive to enter that rest though we may not fall by the same sort of disobedience that the nation of Israel did. Let us remain in the rest of the Father. Let us remain in following him in obedience and, and living out his commands. And so I invite the, the band to, uh, back on stage to join me and to, to close us in a song of worship. I want to leave us with, with a simple question of, of, does the fact that Jesus has promised to be with you compel you to be strong and courageous in the impossible tasks that he has given to us? I've laid out three different tasks that we see very clearly from Scripture. First of all, is Jesus worth enough to you to be obedient to his command to make disciples of all nations? That's impossible for any one of us. Is Jesus worth enough for you to be obedient in that command? Is Jesus worth enough for you to take God at his written word when it becomes uncomfortable maybe to do so? To believe in his word when it talks about creation, to believe in his word when it talks about the sinfulness of the LGBTQ movement, to believe in his word when it, when it tells us to be actively striving for racial, racial reconciliation. Are we going to take God at his word when it maybe causes some discomfort in us? And is Jesus worth enough to you to do good with every opportunity that presents itself? And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. Is God leading you to, to be obedient in, in whatever that situation is, that he's, he's presented a good opportunity for you to follow him in obedience? Are we, are we taking advantage of that opportunity? As I, as I pray, um, Pastor Allen's going to come up, and, and those are questions that every single one of us needs to answer this morning. And you can answer that whether in your seat or you can come up and, and speak to one of us. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Or maybe you just need to come up and spend some time in prayer and get your heart right with God. Um, that can be done in multiple different ways. But I challenge you, I encourage you, I plead with you, do not leave this place until you've asked yourself the question, is Jesus enough for X, whatever that impossible task that God is calling you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power of your word. Father, I pray that it would continue to transform us, Lord, that we would continue to be molded by your word. Father, that it wouldn't just stop this morning. Lord, may we not just take this this little snippet of the word of God and and believe the lie that that is enough to sustain us throughout the week, Lord, but may we be drawn back into your word each and every day, Lord, as as Joshua, as he led the nation of Israel and and, and encountered the the different and possible tasks that you've given him, um, he did that so by, by meditating on the Word of God day and night. Lord, may that be true of us. May we meditate on the Word of God day and night. May we memorize it. May we treasure it up within our hearts. May we, may we let it dictate and govern 
every decision we make, every word we speak, every way that we respond to, to difficult situations within our life, Father. We pray that, um, Lord, this morning that each of us would, would be obedient to respond to the way that your Spirit is leading us this morning. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.